0: Welcome to Horns Up. I'm Animesh. And I'm Peter. And today we are talking to a band that's got the internet and a lot of metalheads in a bit of a tizzy. Yes, it's Blood Incantation. And we have the entire band with us, which is an extremely rare feat for a podcast. Nonetheless, it's great to know that they actually want to come in and chat with us. So, Blood Incantation boys... Can you guys quickly just introduce yourselves so that our listeners know who's
1: talking? No problem. My name is Paul Riedel.
2: This is Isaac Falk. I am typically
3: the drummer. Hey, this is Jeff Barrett. I play Fretless Bass.
0: And we have also have Morris, who's the guitarist, with us on the chat. He's just not here right now. You'll eventually hear him on the cast. So guys, let's get into it. 2019's hidden history of the human race was loved by so many people. Right On Horns Up, it made our Albums of the Year list two. So naturally, everyone's curious, why is the follow-up, your upcoming release, Time Wave Zero, a wholly ambient record? Can you just talk us through the intention behind the release first? Let's set that straight.
1: Since the beginning, our band has been really interested in cosmic, atmospheric, uh, experimental, electronic, or progressive music, specifically from the 70s be it prog rock or crowd rock or new age or ambient or whatnot and when we started the band we were always intending to have that be one of the aspects of our total sound and with each of our records starting from our demo uh we've increased those elements deliberately with the intention of eventually issuing them completely just for the one release you know it's not the like, we're not we're not a instrumental band Now, we just wanted to do it for this one release to give people, you know, when we have these little mellow atmospheric passages on our records, people a lot of times are like, that's cool because it takes me into a particular headspace or, you know, cosmic state of, of consciousness or whatnot. And we just wanted to give people and ourselves as fans and listeners of the band a long form environment for that type of atmosphere so they could really explore the more cinematic and ethereal side of our music, which we consider to be uh, an integral part of the total sound of Blood and Contagion. And
0: from what I've read in interviews, et cetera, this was something that was planned a long time back. It's not as if you guys suddenly thought, hey, we're going to be following up Hidden uh, with uh, this ambient record. This was something that was in, in the works much before that itself, right? And something that you'd shared and declared to the world.
1: That's correct. We, you know, We like to... Kind of be transparent about that stuff and during the promotional cycle for hidden history isaac and i did probably a hundred some odd interviews between the two of us and the majority of them mentioned that our next record would be a, ca- a palette cleanser for us as well as the fans
0: so are you guys surprised with the kind of reaction uh, <laughs> this uh this record is getting at the moment time wave zero
1: people are really pretty excited we've gotten you know we've done several interviews for it already and people are really uh, excited about the merch selling lots of tickets to the release show where we're going to perform it in its entirety here in denver live and uh you know the the pre-orders have been tremendous actually more so than um, for hidden history probably simply because that expanded our our you with people so much you know and a lot a lot of people already are very excited it's great because we no one's heard it yet there's no streaming it's doing a little bit of an old school approach where you know most times there's a debut single then a follow-up single then there's full album stream all all that stuff and we've been really lucky so far that it has had a lid on it still and everyone's playing fair behind the scenes with it and that people are are really excited you know like i said we've sold more pre-orders for this one than we did for the last one so i think it's going to be pretty tremendous
0: it's interesting you say that because for this nature of a record can you really do like a single release
2: yeah we we intentionally made it so that it was there was no single that was released and we and we talked to yeah we uh we talked about this with the with the record label to make sure that the album experience was kind of retained when when the album is actually finally out people can listen to it in full and that there wasn't like you know and plus like it wouldn't really make sense to chop out like a three minute section and and release that so since each side is about 20 minutes and those those are entire tracks that that really depend on their own time then it didn't make sense to do that so
4: you know what honestly since we just got a streaming copy uh of the album right in terms of previews uh one of the things which totally made sense was you talking about it being consumed live because I've been listening to you guys for a while right and unlike your previous releases at this point just listening to it uh streaming on, on the web while on my phone uh, on my laptop or my phone I just felt zero involvement with it, right? Like there was, it was just kind of playing in the background while I was going around my daily routine, but I can totally get like being in a live setting and just being like zoned into that.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be like super honest here. The news that this was a wholly ambient record didn't really surprise me because you'd already shared it, right? And in fact, the ambient bits on Star Spawn as well as on Hidden History were the bits that truly made you guys unique for me in the first place. So I was kind of looking forward to an entire album or just an entire collection of music, uh, which o- with only this as the focus, having said that, like Peter, I also largely ended up using time wave zero as background music while I was working. And weirdly I've been using as I've been using it as music to wake up to.
1: <laughs> Honestly, that's perfectly fine. The the definition of ambient music as Uh, Coined by Brian Eno in the 70s was specifically, it needs to be as equally listenable as it is ignorable. And you put it on uh, as a a contributor to your environment. And uh, like, you know, furniture music or, or background music, music, elevator music, these things are just supposed to cultivate an environment of the building that they're played in. So when you're listening to it and it's in the background, that's totally normal. And then other times, like if you were to go with headphones and really Focus. There's a lot of details to keep you immersed, so it works on both uh, both approaches. We got Morris who are coming in now.
0: Hey, Morris. Okay. Um, the question we really have is: Are you guys okay with how people end up using your music? Yeah. Or do you guys have like a have like a vision of what you want your music to be used as, or what you intend for your music to be used as?
5: I mean, that's an interesting question. I suppose. Uh the interpretation of any art really is in the eye of the beholder so it's, it's hard to say i mean you know
1: we just make it cuz we like it and if people are down that's that's awesome but you know it, it's okay if they don't like it if if it's not uh, engaging enough for them that's no problem with us the next record will be even crazier than hidden history and time wave combined so people will people will have some stimulus coming down the pipeline sooner or later
0: that in fact is a perfect segue to to, to the next talking point that we had, which was a recent interview you did where uh, which said that the band exists purely for its own interests. And I completely respect that because that's exactly the way I look at the music projects that I'm involved in uh, as well. It's purely for me.
1: That's I honestly don't know why that's an unusual position to have as an artist in life.
0: It's not. I totally get it. But the thing is, when you have fans right. Uh, and when you have people out there who want to come in and listen to you and looking at it from a different perspective, in some manner, the business side of music, et cetera, etc, cetera, sure, there will be diehard fans who will believe that time wave is the best record from the band. There'll be others who would rather have time wave as an accompaniment listen or a side B of sorts to uh, what you would largely call um, a riff filled metal album. Again, the larger question being, does it really matter how the music you've released is received, Isaac?
2: So, you know, it's important to also know that, you know, this is presented as an EP, you know, and that was also because of the business side. I mean, the the record label asked, you know, okay, well, let's present this as an EP, even though it is by time, the length of the album, it's longer. But it is a different, you know, you know, we're aware it's a different, you know, uh, avenue of the band. That being said, um, after we were told that and then we gave them the actual recordings, they Century Media was actually like, wow, this is really good. Maybe this should be an actual album. And we're like, well, this is already, you know, how it's been talked about. So let's let's keep it that way because it does make sense. And for us following up Hidden History right away with another metal record, it just didn't really make sense at the time. And so it, it really made more sense for us to take that time, something that we've like, you like we've said, something that we've already planned on doing to to like, you know, set set like a new kind of groundwork for what we can do next, which is we can now we can really do whatever we want. You know, we we can set that precedent saying that
1: blood incantation is not just a death metal band. But we still love Brutal Metal, and the next record will be a, a crazy fusion of those two things, you know. Our records, each one, starting from the demo, which was recorded in 2013, moving on, each one expands this landscape that we're trying to create with this, like, sonic environment that when you hear it, you're like, that's that's a Blood Incantation vibe, you know, like, not even the riffs themselves, but the uh, the atmosphere of the production and the recordings and the song structure and all that stuff. And so getting more progressive, more extreme, more technical, more brutal, but also more ambient and more experimental, that's been part of the game that we've been doing the whole time. And so like Isaac said, now that we have this, we have the most extreme, brutal version of hidden history, and we have the most progressive and experimental time wave, those are those two pillars we can stand upon now, like a checkerboard. And we can now construct a completely unique environment where it's no longer just a band playing death metal for the sake of death metal, which to be honest, Blood and Condition has not really ever been that band. Uh, but now we have the freedom to to combine them as we like. And so just like, you know, we were telling we were trying to tell people the hidden history was going to be simultaneously more brutal and more atmospheric than Starspawn. And, and people then were like, no way. And so I'm sure they'll say that about our next record. But at the same time, when we just make it for ourselves when it comes out and we've, you know, put it all together behind the scenes, we're satisfied with it by the time it comes out. And so it's cool when people enjoy it and when they get the concept. And obviously there's always going to be people who don't vibe with it, and that's totally fine with us. But the next one, just like we did with Hidden History and just how Starspawn expanded on the demo, Interdimensional Extinction, we just want to keep pushing the band's concept and sound out further into outer space and inner space.
5: That being said, as far as like how people enjoy it or perceive it, I guess, in a sense, we, we put, you know we put a lot of effort into presenting these ideas that are beyond music, beyond just like the day-to-day life, you know, just like philosophy and concepts about what all of this is. So a person that can sit down with one of our records and read the lyrics that Paul wrote and, and the ideas we present, the book list and hidden history um, that I do think that is important and uh, a pretty big way of enjoying the music as well. So it, I guess it it is hard to say how someone should enjoy something and whether or not I care, but it does mean something more when a person gets the full picture and really immerses themselves in what it is we're trying to create.
4: When you put it in that perspective, right? You guys are like a metal nerds a delight, right? Because it's so much more... <laughs> yeah, they, they, they... You, you're you going to like keep going in. I mean, I still remember animation. I keep talking about like the first thing we'd always do is like open the booklet. But like in addition to reading the lyrics, also check the pictures of the T-shirts the band members were wearing. Oh, yeah. That's how, that's how I found of, out about
1: half the bands I like growing up. You know, you buy a record and you're like, what shirt is that? What Who's on the thanks list? Or there's a collage of show flyers. What band is that that they played a show with, you know? So there's a lot of little Easter eggs in our layouts, whether it's, like, references in the lyrics or the solo titles themselves being a book title or, or some some strange, obscure reference. And, you know, we just enjoy records that take the time to put a little bit of extra stuff in there for you. And so, you know, all of our records have uh, posters and over-the-top packaging and actually except for Time Wave, which is another part of the concept because it's more restrained and allows... Uh, you know, everything in BI is kind of more is more, and Time Wave is like the less is more version, the yin and the yang version, where it's not overbearing stimulus and all these crazy esoteric references and all this stuff. It's just an open space for the listener to take a journey with the music and their own visual accompaniment, their own mental uh, perspective on it. And the next one, I'm sure, will be even more insane than in hidden history as far as the the, the presentation and packaging and all that
4: now, now that you say it right it makes sense why the song titles are what they are on time wave so i just yeah. kind of wanted to understand more because if super i'm really... minimal
1: super restrained let people be like because you know we have really crazy song titles sometimes <laughs>
4: exactly. and really
1: descriptive you know and so we're really like morris said hammering down this particular approach and this uh this aesthetic and mental um area that we want people to be in as they're going in so when you do read the lyrics and you look at the, the pictures and stuff you kind of get that visual impression right up front but with time wave uh we take that away not to be like primitive about it but to open it up and to expand the listener themselves this opportunity to experience that type of environment and that for that uh music
4: all right so Just to get a sense, if I'm reading it correctly, right? I mean, the EP is two songs divided into four movements each. Is that correct?
1: Um, The digital streaming version of it is divided each into uh, four movements. Yes. And that is for uh, a very old business practice called Mechanical Royalties. And in the past, we, for instance, with Awakening on Hidden History, it's a 16 18 minute song and it's not broken up and they really insisted that we ought to do that for the mechanical royalties for the streaming stuff. But for this new one we we conceded that okay, well, you know, basically the way the music industry was made they have all these really old laws from before things like digital technology existed and they just carry them forward. So basically, you get paid more for a 10 song album that is 10 minutes long than you did for a one song album that is 20 minutes long so it's not actually about the quantity of the music itself it's just about how these streaming tracks are broken up and within history we kind of we ate it and we're like nope, this is our art this is how we're going to do it but for the new one um we split them up into little equal spots so that if you wanted to license it for a, a film work or a video game sample or something like that it's one easier for you to be like i want io third movement want a first movement or whatever but also for you know not not everyone wants the super deep drony parts they don't want to have to get to the rewarding part later of like when you sit through a track like io and it finally opens up later you know not everyone has the time or patience to enjoy that and they just want to hear this nice part you know or like the b-side in particular is the most active and you know they, they maybe just want to skip to that part and that's fine on the on the streaming you know and for the cd and the vinyl they play Un- uninterrupted for the 20 minutes. So you get both.
0: There's something interesting you said there, which was if somebody was to license this for, uh, say, a cinema project or a game or something of that sort as a score, is that a space that you guys are looking into? Is that 120- something that you guys want to do?
3: Yeah, absolutely. We would love to score, and we do see ourselves scoring some future video games or cinema projects.
1: Just, just like Tangerine Dream or Klaus Schultz or these guys in the 70s, you know, Pink Floyd made um, two soundtracks in between Metal and Dark Side, you know, for More and Obscure by Clouds. And we just want to be a band that can do that. But we also play brutal music as well. So
0: I love the shout out to Tangerine Dream because I never thought I'd actually, on Horns Up, uh, even get that name mentioned. Peter uh, and listeners just FYI Tangerine Dream especially to those in India you'll recognize them because they are the ones who created the lovely street hawk theme uh-huh. street ah, hawk David. the the bike show that's like whatever the bike counterpart to David Hasselhoff's night rider <laughs> which was huge in India yeah, yeah. It, yeah. like it also- became huge yeah. in India because those were that's one of the only syndicated shows that played on uh, public access television here in India as such fascinating <laughs> oh, know. Yeah. dropping a little bit of trivia over there but <laughs> um, so i i want to continue this chat about scoring and and using or or basically lending or creating music for a particular project uh which is not your project you're just brought on uh, brought into maybe one particular part of it but you're working under the brief or under the guidance of a a director who's sitting above you as such right uh do you think people will come to you for blood incantation music or do you think they'll just come to you as musicians and you guys will be basically creating something which may not even be blood incantation
2: i mean that's that's definitely ultimately the the hope is that you know much like a band like ulver you know, or Sun or a lot of these other projects that kind of transcend into the art world. And, you know, Oliver did multiple uh, soundtracks for films as well. And, you know, going back to what you were talking about with Tangerine Dream, that's kind of where they became a household name because they started doing all these soundtracks for films. And so that is something that we uh, definitely could see um, blood incantation and just ourselves doing. Um, You know, if it's blood incantation, uh, with Under that name, I think it does make it a more interesting development for the band. But we're always interested in doing things outside of the box like that.
1: If it was to be a blood incantation soundtrack for a project, it would be very important that it retains the atmosphere of the cosmic essence that the band blood incantation represents. Um, Time Wave does that. But if a project came to us that was like, I need something totally different, maybe something that's really positive and maybe something that's more beat oriented, uh, unlike the Time Wave Zero material, we would have to temper that with what the concept of the film was. Because like Isaac said, you know, we could do something that was, you know, Riedel, Kolontierski, Barrett, Falk, or whoever, you know, we could, you know, I don't think we would make a new name for the same guys in a different band, but, you know, we would operate as individual artists as a group. And we would also do it as as blood incantation, because part of the reason that, like Isaac said, for the Tangerine Dream thing, you know, most of their records before they started doing their soundtracks in the mid to late 70s, they were just obscure kind of oddities from Germany in their late 60s, early early 70s. And what really pushed them was these crazy kind of atypical soundtracks that retained this Tangerine Dream essence, but freed from the uh, initial restraint of like let's say a crowd rock or progressive electronic tag you know and it would just depend really on project per project you know so on a, on a one to one basis we would we, we would cross that bridge as we came to it
4: okay uh this is one burning question i had the moment i knew i was gonna talk to you guys i didn't realize it would be all four of you so i'd love to hear from all four of you on this now cosmic and outer space that's a word that keep springing up right in the conversation and like it's all over your artwork your lyrics and stuff like that so i have to know what's it about outer space and the cosmic that really fascinates you guys so much
1: honestly i at least for me personally that's just a part of my personality you know i've always been interested and exposed to whether it's you know Carl Sagan type stuff with Cosmos or Nova on public access here in the states back in the eighties and nineties, and you know new age atmospheric stuff like NPR's Echoes with John D. and things like that. That was that was the music I I was raised around and grown up with. And my dad had a lot of philosophy and astronomical types of books, a lot of Stephen Jay Gould and Carl Sagan type of stuff, and you know paleontology, anthropology, ancient history, mystical, esoteric philosophy. These things are all kind of related, uh, at least to me. And in in these ancient civilizations that we kind of venerate with our aesthetic and uh, implied um, concepts, that, that it was a everyday part of their life that, you know, as above, so below, as within, so without these types of polarities. And at least for me, it's it's just nature, nature. you know, like we're out here on Earth, man. Earth's a planet, Earth's in space. Every person listening to this right now is on a rock hurtling through space. They've lived their entire lives on the Earth ship, you know what I mean? They're, they're in space. Everyone's trying to get out there. But at the same time, these old um, esoteric and metaphysical traditions, they say that there's another way to get to outer space, which is through inner space. And that's where the philo- philosophy and the mysticism comes in. And the synthesis of these two, this ancient and futuristic, or this East meets, East meets West, this type of synthesis is what Blood and Condition is all about. So it's not just a synthesis between old school death metal and futuristic death metal. It's a synthesis between ancient mysticism and futuristic, you know, psychedelic, whatever. You know, it's a, it's the, it's that kind of hovering between the two that, at least for me, I think is so interesting. And when I met these guys, we all have that in common. We all, We all were relative psychonauts and explorers of altered states of consciousness and mysticism in our own right and then when we all met up it was kind of like okay now we can really make this band
5: you know in a more literal sense uh i remember as a kid my parents took me to a planetarium i was super young super young and the classic info about how the sun is going to eat the earth one day i remember Hearing that and seeing this in this planetarium, and it scared the shit out of me, man. I was horrified. The rest of the day, it had this like profound effect on me of like, what is life if the sun is just going to destroy this planet? And ever since that day, I've just you know been interested in space and the cosmos. And my dad had a, a close friend, my godfather essentially, who was a always stargazing, had a telescope, and we drive up upstate New York every summer go look at the amazing night sky and like yeah there's just profound effect on me knowing like that one day this will all end but
1: also knowing yeah, that, we that are so it's like small, it, you know yeah. there's a whole world out there that we're just a small little part of and that everyone is sharing in this great universal experience and that type of stuff is just you know space is the place man it's awesome
0: jeff and isaac you want to weigh in too
1: like
2: paul was saying humanity has been obsessed with the cosmos for our our entire existence as a species um going back to ancient civilizations you know i kind of the way that i talk about it a lot of times is that we have to remember too that you know um, thousands of years ago without television without radio without any of these things you know what did people have time to do and people use their time looking at the sky and people Human humans uh, based our our lives and our culture around where the stars were. We, we based, you know, just when you're going to, you know, uh, put the the seed in the ground and when you're going to, you know, reap your, your crop at the end. And those were all things that were based around um, the stars and the positions of the sky. And, you know, to that point, places like Stonehenge and stuff like that, they were like these big astronomical clocks, you know. And so it's to me, it's like, you know, we we exist in the cosmos. So to not be interested in it seems almost weirder to me than being really interested in it. Um, And, you know, going going to that point, it's just, you know, for us, it's just something that made sense with the band because there were I mean, you know, there were a lot of bands before us that kind of did that sort of thing. But we wanted to kind of do it in our own way and kind of go back to that idea of like, why, so why are people so obsessed with the cosmos for thousands of years? And, and also just the accuracy of of certain cultures, having knowledge about these celestial bodies and stuff like that. And that really interested both Paul and I, when we first met, and that was something that really drove our creative force because it's important also as a band to, figure out what your music is trying to portray before you even write it. You know, it's I feel like a lot of bands um, and even I've been in bands like this where it's just that you write songs and then you kind of come up with the lyrics afterwards. And then, you know, it's and there's nothing wrong with that. But from the get go, Blood Incantation kind of had this intention of just being like, OK, let's kind of put this all together, all these things that we're interested in. And let's make the music sound like that. So that that was, you know, important
1: that's the hardest part is, is making that cosmic atmosphere translate into um, stuff like, you know, brutal death metal, technical, progressive experimental death metal. And it's another reason getting back to time wave zero, why in the beginning, it was a necessity that at some point we had to do a, a, the cosmic, you know, the most cosmic death metal band has to do a cosmic record, you know, and the the atmosphere is on time wave. They can take you to outer space if you're not careful. You know, everything's tuned to 432 hertz, which is apparently the standard for classical music instrument tuning for hundreds of years up until the 1940s. And so things like, uh, you know, Jeff plays a tambura, and we have gongs and singing bowls and stuff on the records. And these types of um, like ancestral memories, like this primordial urge to experience the transcendental uh, they can be triggered by sound and by frequencies and things like uh, those instruments in particular are really effective at getting a trance-like kind of state in people's minds. Sometimes you just hear it and then you get goosebumps and you're like, oh, that's, that's that ancient shit that we're all about, you know? So we just wanted to try to consolidate all of those things into one package for people, whether it's death metal or experimental. Because we use the tambour on Hidden History too and the singing bowls on the demos and Star Spawn. so it's, it's, all, it's always like there's no actual instrument on Time Wave Zero that was not previously recorded and released on a Blood Incantation record.
0: Mm. I had two thoughts while, while, while hearing you guys and hearing you guys talk so passionately about what you want the music of Blood Incantation to kind of represent. The foremost being, has it at any point in time been a concern that you guys will be pigeonholed as the cosmic metal band? That doesn't bother
2: me. <laughs> we we just want to be free, man. We're artists. It's just inevitable that your band is going to be categorized in a certain way. But I mean, obviously, like that's kind of what we were doing in the first place. I mean, we yeah. it was important for us to pigeonhole ourselves in a way, just to set a parameter. We came out of you the know, pigeonhole that we work in. I mean, Blood Incantation is a specific thing. So
0: okay, I love that. I love the focus. Which then leads me to the next question. When you have such a chiseled focus, you'll ultimately end up... And this, this this, is just because of how artists work, right? Like once you know what the target is, you know that you'll eventually meet your target at some point in time. To you guys, it may be the best album you ever create or something of that sort, right? The one that absolutely nails what you're going for. Is that something that you guys are working towards?
1: Hopefully the next one. <laughs> You know, we we don't we talk all the time at practice about how we don't think we've reached our final form yet. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh,
2: I like you were saying. I mean, it's we have a directive, but I don't think that there is a specific target. I think you know and more so it's like we if if we hear if we're working on something and we know in that moment that that's the right thing and that that's blood incantation, that's the target. But there's no like ultimate album, you know, like, I mean, me as an artist, too, it's like, I honestly, like, no matter what I've done, even if it's like the best thing I've done so far, I always have something that I want to do better, you know, and there's always going to be a higher benchmark. Um, and I don't know that I'll ever achieve that, personally, like, I feel like every single time I make something, it's going, it needs to be better next time. And so, you know, that's what drives us and definitely me as an artist is just trying to
1: push yourself further and further, you know, until you die. I think that's a great problem to have personally. Yeah, it is. It is. Rather than the ultimate blood incantation record, the target more is to free ourselves from the launching platform that we came from and be able to exist as free, independent artists in our own creative way. And that's honestly even harder than making a perfect record.
0: Okay. So having said that, what has constructing this particular uh, uh, EP as such, or album, however you want to call it, taught you or um, helped you realize about yourselves?
5: Well, we had to kind of relearn how to play together because, well, for me personally, I haven't I haven't jammed with synthesizers with other people, let alone played synthesizers for, for that long. You know, so it it a lot of patience, time, understanding, like, but also it reinforced our connection as musicians because without words, without having to, you know, sit there and be like, okay, this riff, this drum pattern, we kind of uh, understood that we can communicate in a different language as well.
1: And for myself, I've been making synth music for almost 15 years, but I've never played with other people where it becomes, you have to write and arrange and play counterpoint harmonies and, do an actual compositional approach, you know, all my stuff, I would just be improvising and noodling and and just kind of winging it, which I'm sure plenty of people might assume the time wave is going to be like, but one of the things that I think we're most proud of is that the arrangement and the composition of it, like Maura said, we grew as metal players, even by playing non-metal music together because without the kind of safety net of like a consistent drum beat or or a riff however many times like it's a lot more nebulous and you have to focus just as hard to play in key in time uh make sure that everyone's counterpoint melody is allowing room for other melodies to come through things come things go sometimes everybody's playing with both hands sometimes one person is playing an acoustic instrument and only one other person is playing a, a drone. No, you know, so it ebbs and it flows. And we don't really get that opportunity in, in death metal because it's so aggressive by nature that it really needs to be kind of firing on all cylinders all the time. That said, we do draw it back for the atmospheric passages within the death metal. And that's like, we appreciate you saying that that kind of helps to stick out because that's what we're going for. But for the new one, we, we, we improvise, I mean, we improvised with death metal a lot. We actually made uh, songs like Inner Path to Outer Space and Hovering Lifeless through improvisation as a group playing metal. And we, you know, we'll jam all the time just for fun. And sometimes it's good riffs, sometimes that's how you gotta get the bad riffs out because you just get you're just messing around. But when we played all of twenty twenty, since we weren't on tour, we were improvising together and we didn't start writing the music until last year. And we took some ideas that we had because we were in our practice space. We got a new practice space right before the pandemic. And so we can now record our jams. We can record the synthesizers. We can record with room mics. And uh, we would listen back to them and be like, oh, well, that was okay. Or that was interesting. And we can maybe borrow that for later. And so we would kind of draw from these, you know, dozens, probably like 50 hours of pure improvised music. And at one point in 2020, we were just doing it with like a phone recording in the middle of the room, and we were all playing out of the guitar amps. And that sounds pretty crazy when you listen to all that sound condensed into a tiny little microphone. Uh, plus, guitar amps aren't designed for analog synthesizers, so that there's a different type of tonality. But once we uh, started the actual writing process, we got individual mixers, we got a, a interface and all that stuff, so we can go direct into the computer. Everybody can have control over their sound. Um, And that really, like, after a year of improvising, it was like opening up a, bl- a blossom of creativity in that environment. When we were able to sit there, each person in control of their own stuff, we'd gotten, you know, more comfortable playing our own gear, but also with each other, like Morris said, relearning how to communicate in a different context. And once we started writing Time Wave, it really was just for me probably the most stimulating creative artistic experience i'd had in years man not to discredit any of my other records because i love them but it was just so different you know it was so free and we you don't get that type of uh experimental freedom when you're playing stuff that has like a finite number of frets and a certain type of beat and whatnot and so we really you know i i hope i speak for all of us and that we're all proud of that and that we grew as musicians individually but especially like morris said like we became stronger as blood incantation by doing that which will translate directly into the the metal music
3: that we make
0: jeff what about you what did time wave zero teach you
3: the main thing was like the other guys were saying how to communicate non-verbally through our music on another level I mean, we have done that for years in our practice space with our traditional instruments. But approaching it with all this new gear did open up a whole new avenue of creativity. And it was cool to just jam. And we have some other songs that we're pretty proud of that we aren't going to put out as blood incantation. So hopefully one day we will be able to release those maybe under yeah, a different moniker or something. I don't know. But I don't know. Opening up, being vulnerable.
0: Cool. Uh, you mentioned that, that uh, Jeff played the Tanpura here. So I have to ask the album release gig. I, are you playing the Tanpura there too?
3: Yeah, actually, I did just get uh, acoustic pickup for it. So I have been playing it um, at our practices as of recently, which. I never. I was I was an overdub for the album, and prior to the re- recording the album, we never heard the two together, like the synths and the tambora. So, being able to get that acoustic sound through delay and reverb has really changed. The, the jam space sound it's it's really unique it's awesome so yeah the the release show we will have that and um our uh opener is a uh cl- Indian classical sitarist uh who lives here in Denver
2: yeah Roshan Bartia,
3: and uh he so he will be opening the show with uh, a few ragas it's gonna be a It'll great be awesome. experience Wow,
4: that that sounds like something definitely uh, we would enjoy seeing and like once uh, in a kind of unique situation, right? So, which brings me to my next question, which are what's your plans for the next gigs? I mean, uh, your calendars are filling up. How many of them actually are metal gigs? And what can attendees at those gigs expect here? Because now you've got like a wider uh, variety of sound, right? You've got like the ambient stuff, you've got like the metal stuff uh what's what can they expect from that
1: now all of our tours are the are basically touring for hidden history because we did not really get the opportunity because of the pandemic to do our world tour and bring that album to people you know we toured star spawn for three years all over the world and um something like 11 or 13 tours just for that one five song record and then some demo songs and even though people would say when's the new one we would go to the shows and they couldn't get enough of the old ones. So we would still want to give people the chance to experience, uh, even though it's now 2019 to 22, it's still our last record. And we've only done just this one tour in December, which was like kind of a spur of the moment, brief excursion. And we really, we were so excited to bring hidden history to the world, man. And we're better players. The music is more interesting for us to play, but for now, the only, ambient stuff is going to be at the release show and then for curated events which are like a special event one-off type of thing at uh, exclusive locations whether it's a planetarium or a outdoor amphitheater or an old opera house or something kind of special like a museum or some art gallery thing but if you're going to go see a blood incantation show you will know if it's going to be ambient or death metal in advance we you know we we do like to mess with people but we would never do that (laughs) you know that's crazy but we're, we're going to do, we have several tours lined up for Hidden History, and we'll obviously we'll play old songs too, but we still just really wanted to bring that record to people and we didn't really get that chance. So we're still kind of looking forward to that opportunity, even though the calendar years have continued.
0: All right. So as we begin to wind down, I have to ask, since you guys don't buy music from Target, uh, where do you get your music from?
1: There's a lot of great record stores in Denver, actually. Um, we do a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of those old seventies things you can get really lucky and find in a record store. But nowadays, like the last probably 15 years of, uh, internet, like vinyl culture and resale, uh, it's really expanded. Like, cause there was a time when, you know, discogs and eBay were really underutilized. And now it's like everybody, every record store, a brick and mortar also sells online. Cause that's just a necessity in this in a new climate. You know, you have to, uh, You have to do that because certain people, for instance, you know, if you're looking for really niche stuff, um, you can't, you can't, you get lucky sometimes at a shop, but most of the time you got to seek it out and find it online. Sometimes you can go to a specialty shop, which caters to that type of stuff, which is great. But, you know, I've uh, I've been buying records for 20 years now, and most of mine, when I started, I bought through the mail, through mail orders. And I would like write to a distro list and send a money order and you have to list alternate. Yeah, you know, it's
2: here's the thing. Music is uh, is a diverse thing. And there are many places to go to find whatever music you like. And, you know, it's important that every avenue, you know, I think it's beautiful that there's so many different avenues that people can discover music. So, you know, we we're all avid, avid, avid fans of all kinds of music. So.
0: It, it certainly shows so so then um what's what's been your latest purchase and what are you guys currently listening to let's just go around the room and 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 get those out
1: uh, my latest purchase is right here i haven't heard it yet but i'll show it to you maybe you guys have heard it i just it was a blind buy and i was like this looks cool
0: okay so while paul goes and fetches his the record uh maurice what about you
5: i'm trying to recall i mean uh, the other day i i bought a Isaac was gracious enough to tell me that Vaughn Records had copies of Don Slaughter Son repressed, which I've been looking for for a long time. But uh, the last thing I bought in person, uh, I went to Twist and Shout Records with Paul. I got this great record uh, from a guy named Tim Story called Threads. And it's just this wonderful piece of ambient uh, electronic music that takes you on, you know, Many different types of melancholy journeys, some more active, some more sparse. And it. it's uh, the hype sticker on it's really what got me for fans of like Brian Eno, you know, uh, Tangerine Dream, etc. everything we've mentioned. But yeah, Tim story, threads. Excellent. Excellent novel. Okay, what about you, Jeff?
3: Uh, uh, latest purchase was probably some 70s or 80s Japanese city pop.
5: Wow.
2: Okay. Interesting. Isaac? Um, yeah, I think, let's see, my last purchase, I got, um, this record by, uh, Hiroshima Yoshimura, um, called Peer and Loft, which, um, great an- Japanese ambient, um, and I also got the repress of Cithereals Nord, uh, classic Swedish black metal band, um, that's, was probably their best record um so i f- they finally re-released that with the original art so i got that
0: okay and paul now that you found the record
1: can't vouch for this yet but I, it's peter backhausen planet show on sky mm. Records, 1979 big celestial stuff on the back i like to collect things from sky records they're like a new age prog kraut rock label from germany in the 70s but i just saw that and i was like planet show huh sky Records, 79 sign me up it's only 10 bucks Hopefully wow.
5: it's
0: cool. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds like a good deal. Yeah, and I think that's a really good note as such to end this chat on. Uh, Peter, what was your last purchase, man? Oh
4: man, uh, let me see. This this is a band that Animesh or at least this is a album. Holy fuck, you from- got that? I'm yeah, proud yeah. of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's so the they- new De-
0: That's the uh, Devin Townsend acoustic album, right? Yeah, and and the
4: only reason I got it is. Because Anamesh and I actually were two of 50 people that watched him perform this set, but in, in Mumbai. Bombay. Yeah. Yeah. So that there's a great story behind that. And every time I kind of listened to this on Spotify, it took me back to that time. So I was like, you know what? I need to have it on CD. <laughs> that's awesome. r- r- round it up, Ah, uh, uh,
0: This is not going to be like, uh, it's my last purchase only because I haven't bought a lot of physical stuff recently so my last purchase was cynics ascension codes which i don't oh, know nice. if you guys have heard but i really like both of us really tripped out on it and if you guys haven't heard it i think you guys will really enjoy it
1: yeah we're, we're, we're fans
0: that'll be an interesting collaboration right paul masvidal with blood incantation
5: we've talked They're about this us. many times wow someday,
4: <laughs> yeah we we, we, we like cynics so
0: no surprise
4: even though, like, oh. we were thinking in
0: our brains. Trust but... me, we,
2: we want that. <laughs> <laughs> so That then, is that, a, be... that is an ultimate goal, absolutely. Yeah,
0: wow. we're, I, I'm a huge fan, too. And yeah,
2: That's the music that we've
0: been listening to. That's the music that Blood and Cantation's been listening to. Why don't you let us know what music you've been listening to? We are at hornsupport.com and on Twitter at hornsupport. As always, I'm at Asmoni on Twitter. I'm at Trend Crusher. And this was Horns Up. Horns Up, everyone.